There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, East Dockery, hailing from the illustrious North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. My co-hosts are on the line with me today, Randall Williams from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, and Kevin Perez Jr. from Bowie State University in Bowie, Maryland. How are you guys doing on this wonderful Friday? What's up? I'm doing well. Been great. It's uh, been fairly sunny here in Hampton the last two days, although we had thunderstorms, but uh, it's been great. That's great to hear. So before we get too deep into anything today, um, we have to talk about the World Series. So the Nationals pulled out with the win, and for them, this was a comeback season for the ages. It was also the first baseball title for the nation's capital since Walter Johnson Senators won their only one in 1924. So overall, what were you guys' thoughts on this series? Well, for me, being in the Washington area, I think it's been a big year for us, um, especially with the Mystics winning, too. I also wonder how Bryce Harper feels. You know, he just left. He did get his money. He got paid, but sheesh, they won right after you left. I know you feel some type of way about that. I was going to say the exact same thing. Uh, I think that Bryce Harper, when I, I interned with the Council on Foundations and during that time, there was – a lot of worry in the city of D.C. as to whether he would stay or go or would they pay him. And now he left and they just won it all. And I know they're every athlete is going to be like, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'll get mine when I get mine. No, you feel it because everyone wants a championship. And I know he feels it. I know he does. I think you guys pretty much said it all. So we have a great lineup today. And first we will be talking to senior writer at the undefeated Jesse Washington about his thoughts on the NCAA's announcement that it will allow players to benefit from their likeness. Then in the second half of the show, we'll talk to a volleyball player and the coach of Salt River High School about how they responded to racial slurs hurled at them during a recent game. And lastly, we'll touch on our favorite scary movies and the passing of the legendary John Witherspoon. So we're going to go ahead and get things started. The NCAA recently proposed a new policy that will allow players to benefit off of their name, image, and likeness. The announcement comes after 15 states have proposed legislation similar to California's Fair Pay to Play Act that was signed into law in September. Now, there are a lot of people, including the hosts on this podcast, that agree that this move is long overdue. However, the NCAA's wording is pretty vague, stating that it will only allow athletes to profit within the quote collegiate model so here to help us today understand exactly what this means is jesse washington a senior writer for espn's the undefeated jesse is a brooklyn native who has been in the journalism game for over 20 years and has worked for companies such as vibe magazine the associated press and the new york times He's also published two coffee table books with his father and is currently working on an autobiography about former Georgetown basketball coach John Thompson. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So we're going to go ahead and get things started. First and foremost, can you tell me about your journey to being the established journalist that you are today and how you have managed to shape your online persona? Sure. I think the journey for me has really been taking it to the essence of the craft and focusing on reporting. And I think one thing that we see a lot of these commentators out there are the biggest names in journalism and writing and people we admire and respect. And we think that they just popped up one day and started giving their opinions on television or on the Internet or on Twitter. When really what it comes from is just a dedication and a love of getting the facts of gathering information, of talking to people, of interviewing people, and figuring out what's really going on. And once you deliver that and once you master that area, then I think our opinions resonate more and carry more weight. Um, And so I really consider myself a reporter first and foremost, although I do occasionally get into some commentary and stuff like that. 
I'm more interested in telling you what's going on and putting it into context than telling you what I think. And so that's kind of been the guiding force of my journey the whole way. Um, and as far as I shape my online persona, that really is another principle that I have. I really want to, I, I try to inform people what's going on. And so that starts with a fact-based approach. And the majority of the things that I put on social media are not about myself or my opinion, but more about what's going on. And then occasionally I will get into interpreting those or, or giving my opinion on them. Um, but it really starts with the presentation of the facts, and that's what I really rely on on social media as well. That may be why that I don't have the numerical following that some of my peers do, um, because I think that in today's day and age, there are certain things that you know are attractive online and things like that. But I have to be true to myself, and I'm really comfortable with where I'm at. Hey, Jesse, it's Kevin. Um, tell me, what are your thoughts on the NCAA's ruling? Yeah, I, I find it very interesting. I'm skeptical. Uh, back in my day, there was a public enemy song called Can't Trust It, and that's really my overwhelming feeling about the NCAA and this, this uh, statement that they've put out there, that they intend that some unforeseen date or, or maybe 2021, but they might kick the can down the road again at that point to allow athletes to profit from their name and likeness. And for me, it really comes down to this. The NCAA has been proven to have the interests of the schools and the universities and the NCAA itself ahead of the interests of the student-athletes. And that is their, uh, that's who they're there to protect. That is who they are. And so I feel that this is another move in this, you know, decades-long dance that they have been doing to protect their business model. And so... I don't. I, I think that they were forced to do it, and also something that my dad always told me was that if you do something because someone made you do it and not because you want to do it, then it ain't really going to get done. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And so yeah. the NCAA, uh, less than a month ago, I think that the, 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 the president of the NCAA had said that compensating athletes for their name and likeness w- poses an existential threat to the college model. And so... So now all of a sudden you want to say, okay, yeah, it's an existential step, but we're going to do it. I don't think so. So I'm very skeptical. I think that they were forced to do it, but it is inevitable that we have to go down this road because the inequities and the injustice of the system is just becoming too much to bear, too much for the system to bear. Too many people are coming out against it, and the hypocrisy is becoming just very, very evident. So on the one hand, I'm glad that they at least acknowledge that, but I'm skeptical. Hey, Jesse, it's Randall. Are you cautiously apl- applauding this? Because uh, some people are, you know, people are just happy, like you said, that, you know, athletes are finally getting paid. But, there, you know, we don't know what the, what the rules are just yet. Uh, so if, if you are cautiously applauding it, uh, what do you think the ideal guideline should be? That's a good question. I, I don't think I'm applauding it. I think I'm cautiously ev- evaluating it. Because um, I don't think that being forced at gunpoint to do something is worth praise. Um, I think that the guidelines, they should try to give these athletes the same opportunities that other athletes in, uh, in different disciplines enjoy. For example, uh, many, many years ago when I was a college student in the 80s and 90s, I was a DJ and I made good money DJing and now I write about music. So under the NCAA model, I would not have been able to do that, you know, but Obviously, there should have been, and there are no prohibitions on students DJing for money. If you are in college on a band scholarship, then you can play, you can gig at a nightclub at night. Um, If you are doing research in a biology lab and you discover something, then you can receive compensation for that. So I think that what they should be doing is trying to align the experience of student athletes with student musicians student scientists, MBA students, um, all of the above. That, would, I think, is job one for them. So is it likely that whatever plan the NCAA comes with, um, popular players at big programs, you know, so, say, example, Jalen Hurts or Tua um, will benefit the most, and HBCUs as well have, like, a few stars like Monet Davis and, of course, formerly Caleb Newton. How do you think this ruling will, in turn, impact HBCUs? 
you know, let's take all these superstars off the table for the moment. And really, the vast majority of student athletes in college are not going pro. But they're still very well known in their communities. They have a strong local following. A lot of these are smaller communities where they're, uh, which don't have a lot of other sports teams. So um, you can't tell me that the star quarterback for Grambling could not get some local advertisement, could, couldn't endorse, you know, a local business down there and get some, some nice, little, nice little gas money, you know, some nice little pocket money. Um, some nice little Air Jordan money. Um, I think that that's really important to remember that aside from the Zion Williamses out there who stand to make millions when they're in college and probably deserve to, you got a lot of other people who could just are trying to earn some extra money that they need. You know, I, I didn't have, my parents didn't have much money. Getting spending money was tough for me in college. A lot of times I didn't have money and I was an athlete. A lot of times I didn't have money to go get that hamburger when I was up late studying, literally looking in the couch for change. And so that's all these athletes, a lot of them are trying to do and deserve. Do you think the NCAA will be replaced by a true college pay-for-play system? Hmm. No. Uh, Nor probably should it. I hope that the NCAA is replaced by a system that really cares about student-athletes and is less hypocritical. You mentioned in my introduction that I'm doing this autobiography. I'm writing Coach John Thompson's autobiography from Georgetown. And, you know, this is a very wise fella. And he says frequently that the NCAA preaches education but votes money. So what he means is that every time that there's a decision to be made, they do it on the basis of what would make the most money. And at some point, that's got to stop. And uh, so that's what I think it will be replaced by. I don't think that we are imminently going to see athletes just being able to share in the money that they generate. But it is inching toward that route, and we may get there in some time. What do you guys think? Do, do any of you guys see that happening in the next five? Do you think any athletes are going to get caked up in the next five years? And if so, why? I don't. It's Randall. I don't, I don't really think so. I think as far as basketball goes, I think that more players will go international. I think the the success of R.J. Hampton. I think I think we could see that if if players don't feel like it because R.J. Hampton just said you know it was never really a dream of mine and I know that some players feel like it but everybody knows that Zion Williamson wanted to go to the NBA right out of high school he still would have been the number one pick and why not make go make money overseas for a year and then turn around and enter the NBA draft you play with professionals are they better than college players it depends on where you're at. And I think I think that's more likely than the NCAA being, you know, people are just saying, no, I'm not going to school or whatever, whatever. I also think that the NBA may just get rid of their, their uh, one-and-done rule because it's useless. Um, by the time most of these players get in the league, their first paycheck is, if managed correctly, is enough to set them up for life. Why would you ever go – we're not going to see any of these players from Duke who just uh, entered the NBA draft. They're not going back to school. Unless, unless they, you know, they have alternate, alternate initiatives to, to go back. But they're, they're not going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm in the middle of my, my fifth season. Let me go back and get my degree. You're making $20 million. What do you need a degree for? <laughs> this reminds me of like Ben Simmons when he was skipping class and people was getting on about, like, why are you in school? Um, you're in school to get a degree and this and that. But Ben Simmons was like, no, why would I go to class? I'm about to be a number one overall pick and may get millions of dollars. Well, I'm not here to go to school. I'm not here to get a degree. I'm here to play basketball. So um, that reminds me of that story. I think some athletes, um, it's just about getting to the league, um, getting paid. Um, some athletes, they shouldn't have had to go to college. They, like Zion could have been one and done. Um, he could have gone straight. No, I mean, I'm sorry. Zion could have gone straight from from high school to the NBA. And I think it's ridiculous how he didn't, he didn't make a single dime off that, off his likeness, because he's one, probably the most popular athlete last college basketball season. You said, you know, Zion didn't get paid a dime. If we paid attention to some of the testimony in these college basketball corruption trials, we might have seen a bit of evidence or indication that Zion might have had that. that Zion might have had that bag. And Mm -hmm. anybody who thinks that that Duke and Kentucky, that none of those players players are getting any money to go to those schools, anybody who thinks that is not really thinking. You know what I'm saying? Because I mean, the going rate, the going rate for a top 50 college basketball player is 
fifty to a hundred thousand K just to show up for that one year, you know. And then yeah, you know, I, I remember Ben Simmons not going to class and things like that. And in reality, these one and done, the Ben Simmons and the Zions, they're not even one and done. They're three months and done. You know, yeah. <laughs> they show up in the summer, yeah. they work out. Class starts in September. You're going to class for a couple of weeks. And then when the season is over, you start training for the league. And then that's that. But I do think that they could benefit from that. And you guys are all in college and you can't tell. I mean, we all know as people who care about higher education that you can add more to your life and your ability and your experiences through just the being in college and learning how to navigate that environment than it is just the, the classes that you're taking. So I wish that Ben Simmons would have embraced that a little bit more. And speaking of the NBA, we want to switch gears into that really quickly. Um, can we touch base on the article you recently wrote about Russell Westbrook and what it will take for him to get a ring? And can we just talk about, first and foremost, what inspired you to write that article that you wrote? Uh, let's see. Well, what inspired me was an assignment from the undefeated that said, Jeff, do an article on Russell Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> But but in all seriousness, I did get I did get an assignment, but it was cool because he's a fascinating dude and he's very exciting. And when they assigned it to me, it was right after he lost to Portland, right? And that was a fascinating situation because they should have beat them cats. You know what I mean? Like you're telling me that Russ and PG doesn't trump Dame and CJ? Like that's what we all thought. And then they got they got dismantled, yo. And, and not only that, Russ. You know, Russ was being Russ. He had a lot to say in that series. He's trash-talking. He's rocking the baby. And then Dame just disintegrated them cats. And so that was a good story in and of itself. Wow, how does that happen? What's Russ going to do? How is he going to respond to this? Because at that point, Russ had been bounced out of the first round of the playoffs for three straight seasons, right? Ever since KD left, this brother ain't won a playoff series yet. And at the same time, he's got an MVP and three seasons of averaging a triple-double. So there's something going on here. There's a lot of individual success. There's no team success. And then when Paul George bounced out, it made the story even more, you know, like that made it really compelling. Like, wow, what's really going on now? And then when they traded him, it was like, oh, wow, okay. So that was really what got me interested in the story. I thought it was a fascinating situation because Russ is a dude where the things that have made him great is probably at this point in his career what's holding him back. What made Russ great was being super stubborn, not, uh, as he said, I've been blessed with the talent to not give a blank. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Russ does not care. He's a dog. He's coming at you. He's doing it his way. He's never going to back down an inch in anything in all criticism. He's chewing it up, spitting it out, and stepping it on it with his air why not. So, Jesse, is Randall again. I'm, I'm wondering, one of the things you said and that you just said is that, you know, he's resisted the idea of change. And one of the things you said in your article was uh, his, his, his motto is why not? So if you had the opportunity, if you were branding him, what would his new motto be? Oh, his new motto would be why not change? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got to give a lot of credit to good editors. And Raina Kelly edited me, and she pushed me to, to ask some questions in this story and made the story better. So I had a Google alert up on Russ for all summer, and, you know, all you hear about is him and, him and Harden are such good friends. they boys from grade school. They grew up together. They respect each other. They can tell each other the truth. And so I just kind of came up with this line that made it the story was, what if James Harden tells Russell Westbrook to calm down, and Russ says, why not? <laughs> you know? So I think that that... I think that that's the, that would be my new slogan for Russell. Why not change? Why not? You know, what's holding me back from that? Pride? Stubbornness? You know, why not embrace change? Why not embrace a new role, a new way of playing? And, and because the old way just didn't work. When I think about Westbrook, I just think it's, just, it's time to win. I understand, you know, the triple doubles. I understand he's a great player, the top, top 10 player in the league. MVP caliber player. I understand he puts fans in seats, everything. I love his competitive nature, everything. And yeah, that's all nice. But eventually, it's time for you to win. Like, do you think he'll ever win a championship? I think he has the capability. He's still a very high-level player. He's not a stupid guy. He's smart, and he hears these things and he thinks he's just too. He's just too stubborn and private and proud to admit it. Potentially, he could win a championship. 
I talked to Kendrick Perkins about uh, about Russ, and, and Perk played with him for four or five seasons, really loves him. And Perk said he feels like uh, Houston is one wing away from a championship contender. I don't know about that much. Like, they're starting five right now. I don't think they could win it with their starting five of Harden, Russ, Daniel House, um, Capella, and PJ. I do think that Russ can win a championship with maybe one more player there in Houston. Do you think uh, the NBA has lost its claim to being um, the progressive league? No, I don't, Um, despite LeBron's comments, and here's why. Because Adam Silver really kind of stood up and took took the weight. And I think that's part of what LeBron wanted. LeBron didn't want the players to have to be the ones who are on the firing lines. And I get that. I understand it. But we'll get to him in a minute. I don't think that the NBA has lost their claim as the progressive league because when push came to shove, Adam Silver said, if you read closely and if you pay close attention, he said, look, we're about freedom and free speech, and if that's going to cost us some business in China, so be it, and we'll just have to deal with that. And I respect that. You know what I mean? I respect that. But I do think that they took a hit, a perception hit, As we all know, there's a big culture war going on in America right now. And there's a lot of people who are trying to find any reason to discredit the efforts of those who stand for social justice. The NBA stands for social justice. And so a lot of hypocrites are trying to say that, oh, the NBA is hypocritical, blah, blah, blah. They just about that bag, just like everybody else. They're not really all the things that they say about the rights of black Americans and the police. You shouldn't listen to them because they're not going to criticize China. And I don't agree with that, you know. That said, I am disappointed in that LeBron missed an opportunity to really speak up for human rights. And he missed an opportunity, in my opinion, to put the welfare of our fellow human citizens, be they Chinese or black American or whatever, ahead of really his business in China. Now, make no mistake, this brother got a lot of money on the line over there, even beyond the NBA, even beyond Nike which is a lot of money because LeBron is in the movie business and Space Jam 2 is about to drop. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. movie, movie, so right. So your typical blockbuster is making nine figure dollars in, in China. So what happens if LeBron comes out and, and, and gets China's uh, draws in a bunch and then they say, Oh, we, you can't release Space Jam. You know, <laughs> LeBron is messed up. <laughs> so I get that. I understand it. Um, and, and so I think that the NBA is still the progressive league because their values have not changed and because Adam Silver represented an appropriately healthy stance towards China in that dispute by saying, look, y'all have your thing, you do your thing over there, and we respect that. Over here, we believe in freedom of speech, and we are not going to discipline somebody. We're not going to fire Daryl Morey because he expressed a certain political opinion. Thank you so much for your input, Jesse. And before you leave, we would just like to ask you a couple quick trivia questions. So I'm going to let Randall go ahead and take it away with those. All right, let's go. All what right, you got? Jesse. Uh, listen, I know you're from New York, and there's been a big yes, thing happening this summer. KD and Kyrie join the Nets. So are you a Knicks fan, or are you a Nets fan, or are you like Bill Roden, who is indifferent in what he roots for? I'm in Bill's camp. I'm indifferent. I grew up a Knicks fan. I lived up the street from where the Nets were are, are located now. When they first started the Brooklyn Nets, I tried to root for them, but it just it just didn't feel right. So I don't, you know, I don't really care. And plus, I'm a little old school with these people hopping franchises, and I'm still mm-hmm. not really old. Like the way both of them dudes got to Brooklyn, it, it, it kind of bothers me. So Kyrie, you wanted your own squad. So you left Cleveland, you went to Boston, they gave you your own squad, you messed that up. So now you're going to skip out again instead of staying and buckling down and, and, and fixing what you did wrong there? I'm not really with that, bro. So, like, you know, as much as I love Brooklyn, my hometown, like, for you to come here and rep for us now, are you just going to rep until things go wrong and then skip or what? And then for KD, I understand him wanting to leave Golden State, but how he got to Golden State in the first place was troubling to me. As just like a competitor myself, like, the squad beats you in the, and comes back from 3-1 down in the playoffs and then beats you, and then you go and play with them? Like, I, I just I can't understand that as a competitor. I'm trying to come back and beat you the next year. 
If you if you had to if you had to choose between one of these two, what would it be? Friday or Friday after next? Oh, <laughs> Friday. You know, and I'm you know I'm 50 years old, man. I'm old, so everything older is better. But the original, I mean, come on, you, like, oh, I mean, I gotta I gotta rock with Friday. It's just you know, come on, and don't don't go in there, don't go in that bathroom for about 30 40 minutes. Rest in peace, John Witherspoon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I'm going with Friday. Thank you. And in your opinion, like I said, we're gonna go back to New York with this one. Who is the yes, greatest NYC street baller of all time? Oh, man, you guys are coming with the fire questions. Wow. Okay. You might have to go to the Googles for this one, my young people. Joe Hammond, this light-skinned killer boy. Like, he was in the Pee Wee Kirkland era. Joe Hammond was NBA talent and never even got to college. Thank you again, Jesse. We really enjoyed having you on. And before you go, can you let us know how can our listeners follow your work and keep up with you? So can you drop your social media platforms or any other platforms that you had so the people can follow you and keep up with you. A hundred percent. And, and, um, I really appreciate being here. I am Jesse J E double S E Washington on Twitter and Jesse John Washington on IG. But above all, please go to the undefeated and check out all the great work from all my colleagues, such as East Kevin Randall and the rest of the undefeated family, the undefeated.com at the undefeated on Twitter and, uh, you know, holler at us, man. We won't let you down. Thank you again. And we're going to go ahead and take a short break. And when we'll come back, we'll talk about how two native American athletes are addressing racism against native communities. Don't go anywhere. have been protesting the use of derogatory slurs against them in sports for years. The names, logos, and mascots for various professional sports like the Cleveland Indians and Washington's football team are points of contention. But Native Americans also face racism in amateur sports as well. Earlier this month, racial slurs were hurled at an all-Native American high school volleyball team near Phoenix, Arizona. The incident occurred during the first round of a state volleyball tournament. The all-Native American team from Salt River High School played a non-Native team from Cars Academy. Cars was winning when members of the crowd reportedly mocked tribal war cries and yelled savages at the Salt River High team. Things got so bad that the coach from Salt River High called the game for fear of safety for her players. The game was rescheduled for later in the week and Cars won. The spokesperson for Salt River High says incidents like this are all too common. They just don't often get a lot of media attention. During the past decade, only 50 incidents of racial harassment against Native American athletes, coaches, and fans in the United States has been documented. Arizona is home to an estimated 300,000 Native Americans. Here to help us understand what happened and what happens next is the team captain from Salt River's girls volleyball team. Siadik King and her coach Karona Romhorse. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Oh, hello. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Good. I'm okay. That's good. So we've seen reports about what happened in the original game against Cars Academy, but can you guys speak on your experience in the game and how you responded to being heckled at that game? Well, personally, for me, I'm a player who. I guess you could say has a tunnel vision. I really don't listen to the crowd. I really focus my whole mindset on the game and on whatever my coach is telling me. And so I really didn't, wasn't able to hear what was happening, but I did see like, you know, after every dive I took, I they would mock or, you know, just little things here and there. And even though I didn't see it, I could feel it on the court just from my, like, from my fellow teammates, being a captain, 
you can really feel your other players. And so I could tell that the energy on the court was off. And then when um, switching between matches, you know, I had a lot of girls come up to me and tell me what was happening. And so having to, you know, calm our players down, it was just kind of, I wouldn't say scary, but it was kind of more like surreal that it was happening at this game. And so we just had to kind of deal with it and then talk to our coach about it and see what would happen from there on. Hey, it's Kevin. My question is, have you have you ever endured any racial slurs before? And if you have, um, how do you respond? Did you and like did you respond differently? I played basketball, and so I've endured a lot from crowds, especially our basketball team, because we make it farther in the playoffs. Like I've been involved in two state championship games, and so I've kind of really got used to you know just people and their ignorance in the crowds. It's a really common thing that happens in basketball. It's just this is the first time it's happened really for volleyball or that I've seen. And I just want to really make it clear that this happens all the time. And it's just this time it really blew up. And it's sad to have to be able to endure that. But it's kind of shaped me into the player I am today. Like I said before, I really don't listen to the crowds. Like, sometimes I don't even listen to my mom or my dad yelling on the sidelines. Just because if I hear that, I start to get into my head and I become a really emotional player and that shows. And so I had to learn how to take everything that I work, put my heart into it and not listen to anybody else except for who I need to, which is usually my coaches. Got it. I, I, I have a, um, a follow-up question to that. You said that this happens all the time in, in basketball. Uh, do you think that people just don't care anymore? That, 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 why do you think that's, that's so normal? I feel like it's normalized just because of the the society that we live in today. Not, as, not a lot is expressed on indigenous people. And Usually, um, there's schools that are kind of near our reservation, and I've been to those schools, and, you know, I've had friends at those schools, and a lot of those students there don't even know that they live 10 minutes away from a reservation. And so I think a lot of it is just ignorance and just the fact that not not a lot is stressed on indigenous people and that that we're still hearing what we had to endure. Um, Hans East, were you surprised that this particular event got the national attention that it got? Because you said it happened before, but were you surprised this time that it got this much attention? I was actually very surprised that we, you know, were contacted by news stations that our posts were floating around the Internet this has happened before and a lot of it is just, you know, kind of swept under the rug. And it's like, we played the game, we played our hearts out and we won or we lost. And that was, it was, that was it. It was just, you know, that happened at the game. But this time I feel like it really, really blew up. And that was very surprising to me just because it's an everyday thing. We just leave it be. So I have a question for Coach. Why did you decide to uh, call the game, even though incidents like this happen so often? Why did you decide to call this particular game? Well, obviously I knew that there was something going on when my players came kind of, I want to say rushing back, but you could tell in their eyes there were concerns. I did have a couple of them look like they were angry, but they came and reported it right away. I also had my assistant coach right behind me telling me what she saw too, and how, like, the rest of the crowd, just by looking at the whole situation, I felt like this could be could go a couple of different ways. And so the first thing I did was, you know, approach the um, AD who was sitting and working at the table, you know, and told her what was happening. And then she got up and went to the corner to address the boys. And I believe the referee would usually come, I mean, comes off the ladder and then comes usually comes to the table, but he went with her over there. So I wasn't able to speak with him right away, but they went to go address that issue. And I guess whatever happened, 
I felt like there was still some, oh, how would you say, there was still some anger within the crowd and the group of boys because the AD just made them sit down next to mm-hmm. our away crowd, like on our side, like where the boys were saying this stuff, they were on our end line where we serve, not their team. So I think that when you're setting a, a hostile crowd that's already said something and everybody in that crowd heard, I think it was more upsetting. And I thought my first instinct was like, why did she set them back down when she should have maybe either kicked them out or like removed them from that area? But like the crowd, my crowd was still upset. And I could just tell, like, they weren't happy with the decision that they made without them even having to talk to them. I never went and talked to the parents or anything. I could just tell, like, something seriously went on over there. And then I knew that with all the reports happening from the players and my coaches, um, this was not something that ever happens at a, you know, at a volleyball game and a state playoff game at that be, you know, the first round. Like, I think that was more, a little bit more upsetting. And then when she came back and said, well, I made them sit down, I said, we're still not playing this game. Like, you understand, like, it's it's already hostile right now and they're not going to settle down over there. So I just thought that I wanted to make sure that the, the, the players were okay spiritually and emotionally like that's a big thing like they you could tell they were really upset and even when I was talking to the AD and to the uh, referee and the comments that were said to me it was still very upsetting because his comment as a ref was to me was you're going to perceive it as you want to perceive it or something like however you see that that was really upsetting because as he was saying that I see the, the cheerleading coach saying something to our players like telling them to stop the cheerleaders that were sitting behind the volleyball players doing the gestures with their mouth as the, you know, the referee was telling me, you know, you're going to perceive it the way you want to perceive it. And the rest of my team was behind me. And I know SK probably almost of the team heard what he was saying to me. And I think that was a little bit more upsetting thinking that, you know, like I was lying or I was making this stuff up. Like I just said, that's pretty serious accusation to be making up. You don't make this stuff up. You don't make up the word savage and you don't make up um, making the gestures over your mouth. Yeah, that's all pretty crazy, especially considering the 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 perception comment of like you perceive that. In my school specifically, uh, Hampton had dealt with something where their soccer team traveled down down to, I want to say, South Carolina, Upstate University or something like that. And they were dealing with racial slurs and uh, Similar fashion, the referees ended up, ended up actually costing Hampton University soccer team the game. And in response to that, the, the Big South conferences that the conference were in, they uh, put the referees on suspension, and then the game, the, the goal that the other team had scored that allowed them to win was vacated. So I'm wondering, the Canaan Athletic Association didn't punish the other team or hand out any sanctions, and they pledged to make a policy about cultural competency and what do you guys think about that response? Going forward, I want this to be a, a learning lesson for everybody. Not, you know, not just people that are non-natives, but just people in general. To me personally, I, I mean, I would have dealt with it differently if it was my home court. But like I said, I don't, you know, we just, we just want to make sure we finish out the game for the girls. I, I don't want to take anything away from that. Um, how the sanctions came about, that was a CAA policy, and I'm pretty sure, and according to it, it was, it was their first time, I guess, really having to deal with something this serious. Um, and going forward, I do hope we, like, they do follow up with, you know, with them having to do, um, changing the policies and stuff. And I do hope those policies will start ASAP, especially me getting ready to go into coaching varsity girls basketball. So I don't want any of this to come up again, I guess. How would you like schools in the future to handle situations like this? Um, I feel like both schools are handling it really well. And I feel like in the future, I think there could be more indigenous studies taught in schools, especially those that either play Native American schools or those who are in a radius of a reservation, just because a lot isn't taught about Native Americans, going to a school on the reservation, we're taught a lot of our culture and our people. We even have Native American studies here. And so I feel like it's, I feel a lot of our school is really culturally based. And I feel like American Indian studies should be an elective at every high school. 
just for people to know that, like, what ha- what happens to us every day, and even not just about the history of us, but what's happening currently, like modern-day urban natives. So I have a question for Coach. I know you mentioned earlier you said you personally would have handled um, the situation in a different way. Um, I was curious, like, what way would you handle it? I mean, as a coach, I would, you know, I'm going to handle it the same way I handle it with you guys, like with whatever happened, like, you know, having to talk to CA, getting that um, part of it. But as a parent, when I was wearing my parent hat, if I was sitting in the crowd, I would be like, I would probably be pushing for, like, a little bit further investigation of why we are not pursuing the um, the sanction of us calling the game. I think that was mm-hmm. a little bit different. But if, if it was if it was players against players, obviously that would be my situation. But I had to look at the overall picture, and it wasn't players versus players. It was spectators. That really ruined the game and took that away from both teams. So that was the biggest step that I had to realize is that that wasn't like it was, yes, towards just us, but those other girls didn't even know what was going on. The other team didn't know what was going on on outside of the court. My thing is that I would have asked for a forfeit. Did that experience bring the team close together? As a coach, I, I always think this team, as these girls out here are very close, no matter what sport they're playing in. Even if they're not in a sport together, they're too, they're close. And I the, my, the volleyball team is probably my one of my closest team, you know, that they're very, very close. They they have each other's back. I've I've coached them since seventh grade. If not, if I didn't coach them a year or two, they've been together playing volleyball for a long time. So I feel like they've always, they're, they're a big family. Um, they put a lot of things aside to make it work. So, and I'll let Seattle fill in on that part. For me as a player, I feel like it did in some way bring our team together just because me and the um, other captain on the team have been playing for Kyrona since the seventh grade and the other girls we've been playing with since our freshman year and so it was you know very sad to have to have that experience with those girls like I said it happens for basketball all the time but with these girls specifically it has never happened and having to like you know tell them that it's going to be all right no it's going to be taken care of it really empowered us to take a stand together and it just really brought us close together we're all from a small school and it's kind of a small reservation and so we all live like within 10 minutes of each other even though we live on opposite sides of the rest and so you know everyone knows everybody and so it's not it didn't just bring the team together, it really brought the community together as a whole. So for both um, Corona and Siatic, um what tribes are you from and what do you want people to take away from this experience? Well, I'm Seminole and Creek and half, and then my dad is Navajo. What I'm going to take away from this is being the bigger person out of this situation and, and make sure that all of society knows that this still happens every day. And it's just too bad that this had to be put out this way from a social media standpoint and from like a state volleyball game from a CAA, from two two groups, so I mean two schools, two different school sites playing each other in a playoff game in the first opening round. We have to have better sportsmanship going forward and that we can't, uh, we can't take away from the players' games with um, spectators out of control, I guess. I'm um, actually two tribes. I'm half Navajo and I'm half Akrama Atham. And so the there's a couple things that I kind of want people to take away from this game. The main one being that this happens all the time. And I feel like even though the media has really spiked this and it's a nationwide thing, it's always going to happen. Just checking that box that you're... Alaskan Native or American Indian, you're always going to have these situations. But, you know, my mom is the GOAT. (laughs) Since I've been playing whatever sport I've been playing, she has never missed a game. I think 
all through junior high and high school combined, she has only missed two seasonal games. And that's including both me and my brothers. There are times where me and my brother will both have a basketball game, and she will travel across town to make it to both. Like, she is awesome. And she can even, she can even say, she's told me her experiences being the crowd that, you know, she hears it, even though I don't hear it, or the coaches don't hear it, the refs don't hear it, she hears it. And it's always going to happen. Whether it's even baseball, softball, basketball, even sometimes it could be wrestling. It's not really going to stop. It's going to happen, but it's just how you deal with it as an indigenous person or like any other ethnicity that you are that it's always going to happen. But, you know, you have, you know, all minorities standing behind you. And the second thing I would wish people to take away from this is to just give support. I've played, like I've stated before, I played in two state championship games for high school, and both times we've had support, but not support like for this game. This game we had, you know, our community busing people to the game. We had them, you know, make a public announcement that the game is happening, but that has never really happened for, you know, make us making it further in the playoffs. For those state championship games, there was nothing really that was voiced or there was no, like, you know, shuttle bus that was going to the game. And I just, it really made me happy that this game and situation can bring our community together. But I feel like our community should be brought together every single game. Like, a turnout like that should be at every home game, at every away game, at every playoff game whether it's the sweet 16 or the the final four or even state what is your what is your, your plans for for after volleyball and what do you want to do long term for your future well we're out of our season now so my mind is really focused on basketball especially since it's one of our longer seasons but post school i know i want to go to a university I want to major in engineering and get a minor in mathematics. I'm just not particularly sure where I would want to go yet. I am a really big family person. Like, I'm one of those kids that would rather hang out with their brothers and their their siblings than go hang out with their friends. My mom will even tell me, oh, you can go. And I'm like, oh, I'll just stay with you. (laughs) And so I... I've applied to some universities out of state, but I'm really looking at my first choices as in-state just because I I don't know what I would do without my family. They're my biggest support, and I would feel like I would be heartbroken, and I don't know how long I could last without my family. Just family is everything to me. And my community does a lot for me, and... They have a lot of programs here that I find useful, and I'm not sure if, you know, going to a university being so far away from, you know, my reservation, I feel like that would take a small part of my identity from me. And so it's just a lot of factors I need, I do put in when I'm thinking about college. That's really good that you're family-oriented and community-oriented because I'm the same way, too. I hate being apart from my family. But um, before we let you guys go, um, since you guys are based in Phoenix, we have a couple trivia questions for you, and anybody is open to answer them. So I'll go ahead and let Kevin um, ask you guys those questions. All right. First question, which team are you more of a fan of, the Phoenix Suns or the Arizona Cardinals because you're based in Phoenix? Does the Mercury sound better? <laughs> That's an option too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say Mercury them. because Suns is I don't know. I, I mean, I don't mind. I mean, we're from Arizona, but and I'm not a Cardinals fan, by the way. I'm a, a Pittsburgh Steelers. It's kind of weird, but <laughs> oh, wow. It's okay. Yeah. Um, I'm from I'm from Maryland. I'm a Patriots fan, so I understand. Uh, I can oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad's not probably that, but I don't care. Uh, next, <laughs> next, next question. 
Yeah. I was to say, those are bandwagon fans. <laughs> but the Suns are doing good this year. I have to give them credit. They, they're they doing really good this year. On the come up, and they got a new head coach. They got Booker and Aiden. Future looking bright. Yeah, they look good. <laughs> Way better than the Warriors. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but my next question is, what are your favorite volleyball players? Oh my gosh, I have I can have a whole list. <laughs> I really love the women's BYU team, and so some of my favorite players from there, are, of course, the goat Mary Lake, their Lombero, and their outside hitter McKenna Miller. I actually got the opportunity to meet her while I was attending a BYU game, and I actually got to meet Mary Lake and McKenna Miller. And it was so amazing. I fangirled so much. I think I've only said like four words to each of them. But they, those two are my favorite volleyball players whatsoever. <laughs> nice. I have, I'm going to be honest, I have no idea who these people are because I don't watch volleyball. <laughs> but, so I'm just being honest. My sister played it. And, yeah, that's the only time, that's the only time I really watched it. But my next question is, who are your favorite basketball players, NBA and WNBA? Well, for Coach Kai, <laughs> for women's NBA, I'm wearing her jersey today. She used to, well, I wore it earlier today. Um, it's Griffin uh, when she played for Sacramento. And you guys, I'm really old, so she played probably at least 15, well, when it first opened. So she's my favorite player for women's NBA. Um, and then for for men's basketball, my favorite player is um, Kevin Durant. Ooh. And I the Audic's about to tell you who her favorite one is right now. <laughs> WNBA, of course, would be Shoni Schimmel. And men's, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't really watch men's basketball. But, but the one that I think I see the most is Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I wear his shoes. I support his brand. So... <laughs> <laughs> Kyrie Irving has like the best basketball shoes I'm not going to lie So you have good taste in shoes and, <laughs> yeah. um, For for me uh, My favorite WNBA, WNBA player Would be Candace Parker And my, I'm a Wizards fan But I'm really but I'm, I go over LeBron goes <laughs> um, But I don't like his basketball shoes though I like Kyrie's um, yeah. Last question if you got scholarship offers for volleyball or basketball, which sport would you choose and why? <laughs> I would definitely choose volleyball. I know my mom will kill me for saying that, <laughs> but I have been playing volleyball since the sixth grade, and I've been playing basketball since the seventh grade, and I play basketball all year round. I play volleyball Sometimes during the summer, but most most of the time during the season. But volleyball is just, it will always have a special place in my heart. Some of my best memories with my, my dad have been just sitting in the living room and watching volleyball. It would definitely have to be volleyball. Coach Kai already played basketball in in college, so that was my choice. It was it was basketball or um, cross country for ASU at that moment. I got a scholarship for them, but I'd had to redshirt for two years before I could make the team. So I went with basketball. Thank you guys so much. It was fun having you on. And if um, our listeners can follow you and or the team, what um, social media platforms are you on? Can you go ahead and shout you guys as uh, at names out so our listeners can know how to keep up with you guys? All right. We're at Salt River Schools um, on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much. Um, Again, you guys were great. And thank you. Thank you guys again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss our favorite scary movies. Being that Halloween has recently passed, we're going to briefly touch on some of our favorite scary movies. In addition to that, we will also talk about some of our favorite films, which featured the late, great John Witherspoon. So, Randall, I'm going to start with you. What are some of your favorite Halloween scary horror movies? 
For me, East, it's uh, it's Jeepers Creepers and Monster House. I really enjoy. Uh, I think I watched Jeepers Creepers when I was fourteen, and uh, the concept behind it, uh, the 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 I guess the the creeper would just freak me out. I remember going to sleep and having a, a dream that uh, it was under my bed. So uh, the Jeepers Creepers has a special place in my heart. Um, for me, it would be um, Halloween and Paranormal Activity. Halloween, because I love Michael Myers. Um, I think it's funny how people run away from him, and he, he walks really slow, and he still gets to him. <laughs> paranoid activity, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it, but it had an effect on me. Like, it making me paranoid. I was sleeping my, with my lights on, uh, keep my door open, try to go in my parents' room, and they kick me out every time I watch it. But, so I stopped watching it, but I still enjoyed it. See, as for me, I'm kind of a chicken, so I don't really like scary movies like that. But the ones I did enjoy was, like, kind of the Disney Channel ones, like Twitches and, like, Halloween Town. But if you consider The Purge a scary movie, I like that one. The Purge. Oh, that was a good one, too. That was a good, that was a good one, too. Yeah, I like The Purge. That was kind of the, I guess, my official scary movie. The Purge is more of a thriller, in my opinion. I'll say that paranormal activity stuff. I can't go for it. All the exorcism, all the all the ghosts, all the. Mm-mm. I mean, yeah, but the last, like that's like the Saw movies. What is the last movie you've seen with a with a monster in the East? Me? <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't recall. I really can't. Oh lord! Oh, so you don't you watch games? I don't. Really? Is this not her thing, Randall? Did you even, have you seen the latest Jurassic Park? I have, but that's not like a scary movie. That's true. I was <laughs> just wondering. I, just wanted to, I wanted. I wanted to. I wanted to measure to see how, how truly scared you were because, uh, I mean, in today's era, what I don't remember the last scary movie I've seen that has really, really caught my attention, uh, like Paranormal Activity did when it first came out. Paranormal Activity was a moment uh, when it first came out. Everybody was flocking to the theaters to see it. Uh, the Conjuring was another one that is truly truly scary if you see it in theaters the first time you see it is normally going to be the scariest time um and then uh i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with uh quarantine quarantine yeah uh, yeah yeah quarantine quarantine is very creepy as well uh quick story my brothers and i my parents had always told me about quarantine when i was a child and one night me and my brothers were spending the night in the basement where we have an entertainment center set up, and they told us not to watch it unless they were going to watch it with us. So long story short, it came on. It was probably like 1 a.m. We're like, oh, you know, quarantine's on. We click it. And um, quarantine, is the way it's shot, it has like a cameraman running around, and he's filming everything. So we were we opened a movie in the middle of the movie when some action was going on. So in the middle of us turning on the channel, I dropped the remote. So when I dropped the remote, a whole bunch of nonsense just started going on in the screen. People running around, people screaming. My brother's like, Randall, get the remote, get the remote. And he literally was laying flat on his back and jumped to the other side of the couch waiting for us to find the remote. It was like a a seven-minute session of us trying to find the remote. So quarantine is also really good if you guys ever have the chance. Yeah, I probably won't watch it, but it sounds great. (laughs) Did you guys watch uh, Final Destination when I was out? Mm, I saw the first two. That one wasn't for me. The movie I really want to see right now is, uh, I think it's called The Countdown. What's that about? I think um, it's like an app that downloads to your phone and tells you like when you're going to die. So like, as soon as you oh. download it, as soon as you download it, it like just gives you a date, and everybody starts freaking out. Like in the in like in the trailer, one person had like two days, somebody had like one hour, somebody had like fifty-seven years, and this everybody just freaks out. And they tried. The, the goal is to outlast the time. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Um, well, for all my scary movie people out there, I hope you guys enjoyed your Halloween. Um, if you're like me and you're a chicken, more power to you. Um, and before we close out, I just want to quickly acknowledge that one of the greats passed away at the end of October. The TV and film actor John Witherspoon died at age 77. He was best known for his work in Friday film series, the Wayans Brothers TV show where he played Pops, and the Boondocks voice of Grandad Freeman. So rest in power, John Witherspoon. I love seeing him in Friday with Ice Cube. Now, I was just going to say, a legend has his uh, us, And um, I'm not sure Boondocks will be the same when he comes back, and uh, that'll, that'll be uh, quite the hit hearing. 
someone else's voice, and I'm sure they'll do a great job. But John Witherspoon is somebody that resonated with everybody, and um, heaven is a better place. So that's all we have time for today. If there's anything you would like us to cover or if you would like to leave us a comment, be sure to tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. You can also contact us directly. Me personally, I am on Twitter at eStockery. That is E-A-S-T-D-O-C-K-E-R-Y. And you can follow me at Kevin Parrish Jr. K-E-V-I-N-P-A-R-R-I-S-H-J-R. And you can follow me, Randall Williams, on Twitter at R-E-N-D-A-I-L Williams. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson and Arthur Cribbs. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brasby and the ESPN Digital Audio Content Team. I'm East Dockery, and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Right Time with Bomani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the listening tab of the ESPN app. Be sure to join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.